This episode is brought to you by AudioQuest, makers of the mythical series Analog Interconnects. Click the link in the show notes for more information. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast, our first for 2023. And joining us once again is the always effervescent Michael Lavonia. <laughs> I suppose Happy New Year greetings are in order. Well, yeah, but it's a bit late for that, isn't it? And that's my fault. Yeah, it's a little late. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we were meant to do this podcast well, over a week and a half ago, weren't we? And mm. then... Well, something happened to me that delayed the recording. Um, and I, I do want to quickly explain it because I haven't, I've been a bit vague about it um, on Instagram. My patrons know, but basically the Friday before last, I was in the middle of moving house, you know, packing boxes, moving boxes. And my eyesight started to be a bit, I don't know, it just, it just didn't seem right. Hmm. And because I've had problems with my eyes in the past, I... I'm very sensitive to any small changes. So I always take myself off to the emergency room, which is what I did. And I was told that, yeah, John, you're not moving house for the, you know, for the foreseeable future. You need to come into hospital on Monday and we need to operate on your eye. Um, mm. So, which is where I was for three or four days last week in the hospital, having an eye operation. If people want to know what I suffered from, it was basically a ruptured lens capsule. but. The, I guess the specifics of it don't really matter. Like when you have an eye operation, it's not painful. Nothing's, I haven't experienced huh. any pain apart from a massive post-op headache, which a painkiller mm. took care of. But just just the mental anguish and the stress and then having to deal with nurses in German and my German's not amazing. It's pretty good, I guess. And it was okay to get me through the machinations of being on a ward, a hospital ward. But um, yeah, a very hairy few days. You should have seen the the needle Michael, that they in, injected uh, my eye, eye socket with like a one-inch needle into the eye socket. This guy, this guy's like, manage, yeah. He's just saying, he's, oh, you, now you're going to feel a little. But I don't even know what the word was because I was I was fo focusing on what he was saying because he was talking to me in German, and mm. just as he, he, I had the the P of whatever it was, just this jab in my eye socket. I'm like, you're, uh, <laughs> that's gross. So I've now got stitches. I can't manage uh, <laughs> stitches in my right eye. With... <laughs> it's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. I cringe, literally. Yep. Needle in the eye, stitches in the eye, anything to do with eyes, I cringe. Yeah, I'm a big admitted wimp when it comes to eyes. I th I mentioned this in a uh, and, private we, conversation. Yeah, 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 I've never even tried contact lenses because there's no way. It's, it's just awful, not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think the abstract, in you know, talking about it in abstract is, is far worse than the reality. I mean, I'm hamming mm -hmm. it up because it's kind of, well, I have to, yeah, I've got to look back at it in a fairly, well, yeah, a fairly jocular kind of way. I'm not going to get morose and down about it. I guess the other thing that that bugged me as much as having to have surgery was that last week and this week were planned as basically yeah, a house move and then me having time off. And I'd planned this pretty much from when Jana went to Wilson Audio in August and filmed her video there, planned it from that point. I thought I would just get to the end of the year move house, take two weeks off. And everything was going swimmingly pretty much until my eye went sideways. And so 
yeah, I mean, this is why that Wilson audio tune tart, how it's made video went up last night was because we planned it all the way back from August because that was when I wasn't going to make a video myself this week. And I was just going to insert Jana's video into the schedule instead to buy me some, you know, some time off. So hmm. Hmm. yeah, so it, it hasn't happened. You know, I kind of came out of the hospital and I'm kind of sort of working again because I can't, I can't really move house or start, you know, resume my house move until I get the okay from the doctor this coming Wednesday. So if he says oh, everything good. looks all right, then and then I can kind of resume activities. But even then, I don't know how, how I'm going to take some time off. It's just ridiculous. It's just absurd. Ugh. So it could not, well, yeah, I guess it could have happened at a worse time. I could have moved house and then it happened. That would have been pretty stressful. But I mean, luckily I'm in the, yeah, in, in a good city with a good eye hospital, great surgeon, great support mm. staff, very great. And everything's fine. Yes, everything is um, yeah, I mean, I've had no post up. No, no. I mean, they put a list of the side effects you could possibly get post up, and one of them is bleeding, infection. I forget mm. what the, there was a third, but I forget what it is. But I've had none of those things. I think it was pain actually. So um, my eye is still very foggy, even though I can tell that behind the fog, the image is complete, and there's no weirdness, huh. and there's no sort of. Um, it's not out of focus, if you know what I mean. It's just foggy. It's kind of hard mm, to explain. Mm. I don't quite know why it's still foggy, but I have to have the stitches out in four weeks. So yeah, well, I'd, you know, it's, that's another, right, right, right. I don't know whether even that's a hospital admission. I don't know. It might be, but <laughs> it's just the way it goes, right? It's just the way life goes sometimes. So that's why I'm kind of a bit all over the place at the moment and why our <laughs> sort of Happy New Year podcast, which is where we came yes, into the topic, yes, yes. Is, has been delayed. So... um yeah, happy new year, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Happier for me, I suppose, but hey. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, it's I mean, I've had eye problems before, so this is this is not the worst of them. I had yeah, a yeah. had a detached retina 10 years ago. That was that was super hairy and yeah, I'm not even going to go into that right now. Um but we should move on. We we should get going really. I want to start actually with a a thought experiment. Hmm. Which is going to lead us into a, a topic later on. We're going to tackle this later on. But I thought we'd start with this thought, ex thought experiment. In that, I want you to imagine that there is a, a turntable belt manufacturer. And they're called the Essential hmm. Turntable Belt Company, right? And they make hmm. two products, only two products. They make a very basic, they call it the budget belt. It's a, you know, a belt for a belt drive turntable. Made of basic rubber, and it sells for one euro. But they also okay. right, but they also make a belt called the luxurious belt, and apparently it can <laughs> it contains rare earth metals. Don't even know why. Don't care. This is my thought experiment, so it's just as abstract as I want it to be, right? But mm. this luxurious belt sells for ten grand, right? So we've got one that okay. sells for a euro, one that sells for ten thousand euros. Now mm. in twenty twenty two, I've just looked at the sales figures for these belts, for the Essential Turntable Belt Company. Now, last year, the budget belt, a 1,000 people bought one of those, so a 1,000 units were sold. So that means a 1,000 times 1 euro is a 1,000 euros in revenue, right? Got it. But, but one and only one of the luxurious belt was sold. So that's 1 times 10,000. That's 10,000 euros in revenue, right? Hmm. 
So my question to you is, which would you say is the best-selling belt model? Well, clearly the uh, the cheaper one. Why? Outsold the other in volume. Right, in units sold, right? Yeah, volume, okay. yes, units okay. sold. I would agree with you, right? I've, but we'll, we'll come back to it, this thought experiment later. Um, before we kind of progress for the rest of the podcast and some of the more mm. discursive topics, including what this thought experiment relates to, I want to just quickly talk through some recent news items because shall I go first or do you want to go first? Oh, feel free. Okay. Jump right in. All right. So in January, there were two portable audio players released, uh, one by FIO, one by Sony. And they're interesting because they come in at roughly four or 500 bucks. So essentially, for those who don't know what a portable audio player is, it's like a phone with all the phone stuff stripped out. And then you've got playback control buttons on the side. You've got a touch screen. Then you've got a micro SD card slot, which you load music onto. And then you can push that into the underside of the unit. And then you can play music from that micro SD card using the touch screen interface, right? So it's like a Walkman or it's like a, an iPod touch or an iPod. Excuse me, I'm just <coughs> choking on some popcorn that I ate before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the one from Sony is catchily called the NWA306. And it's, it's, the, it's another model in a long line of new Walkmen, because that's what NW stands for. But it's unusual for Sony to put out something that sells for so little money. and. I think it's also interesting the Sony ones have an advantage over the competition because they don't have a DAC chip inside, not the self-shelf DAC chip. They're a bit like a digital amplifier, like a Lingdorf or, oh God, there's that Peachtree digital amplifier. So you get a streaming signal or a digital signal that comes, in, comes into the unit and it's carried all the way through to the output stage. And then that digital signal is used to switch the output stage a bit like a, an amplifier, a switching amplifier, right? Now, mm. Sony's advantage in doing that is they their unit is more power efficient. So their battery life on this new A306 is up to 36 hours, mm. which is quite a long way north of the portable player launched by FIO, which I think is about 14 hours, 12 to 14 hours, something like that. And the FIO unit is kind of similar size, got a touch screen, which I think might be slightly bigger. And the FIO has a, a balanced output on it, and, but it does have a DAC chip inside. Definitely has an, uh, it's an ESS 9038Q2M. So it's their mobile version of the 9038. In fact, they got two of them, one per channel, right? So it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's again, like a, a bit like a phone with playback buttons on the side and you put your SD card in the bottom. But where these two players really sort of stand out for me, I think they do anyway, because in the FIO, in the press release, this wasn't mentioned. But basically, the FIO runs Android 10. Now, when I see that in a press release for a portable player, and it says Android 10, I look at it and go, right, is that a heavily customized version of Android 10 that you wouldn't recognize so that you can basically play from your micro SD card, and maybe the app also integrates Tidal and Cobas, 
But because mm. the record labels don't let hardware players like this and their apps offer offline content from Tidal and Cobras, you can only do streaming over Wi-Fi. So there's a Wi-Fi card inside the FIO. There's a Wi-Fi card inside the Sony. And so you can, mm. you know, you can stream from streaming services, right? But right. yeah, so the FIO runs Android 10. I think the Sony runs, yeah, Android 11. But I really had to go digging around to see if those versions of Android had the Google Play Store available to the user, right? Because then it's more like a phone, then you can install Spotify, Tidal, Kobos. They're native apps, which do give you offline content functionality, right? And I think for many people yeah, now, yeah. that's super important. Like, I think sure, I, I've been quite dismissive of portable players in the past, mainly because we were coming into the streaming age in 2016, and they, most of them were stuck in the micro SD card playback world. I'm like, this is not going to fly anymore. So they seem to have been dragged, kicking and screaming, well, some of them have, into offering Google Play Store access and therefore, yeah, native streaming apps. Astel and Kern, with their portable players, they're a bit of a, a weird one in that they have this heavily customized version of Android, which you wouldn't recognize. There's no Google Play Store access, but they have like a whitelist of native streaming apps that you can install, right? Hmm. And I'm, I'm a bit frustrated with Aston and Kern at the moment because I've got a great player. I've got their SP2000, wonderful sounding player, but they haven't yet whitelisted PlexAmp or Rune Arc. Now, Rune Arc, you can forgive because it's just come out, but PlexAmp's been on the market hmm. for well over a year, and that allows people to stream from their server at home, as does Rune Arc. I think it's pretty damn essential. So when I see people like Fio and Sony launch a $500 portable player, I look at it and go, well, it's probably not going to sound as good as my and Kern, but it gives me access to the music I want through Plexamp yeah. and through the native streaming apps, right? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's kind of where I think music access trumps sound quality. Yes, the, you know, portable players do vary in sound quality. The Aslan Kern is amazing. Is it hmm. night and day blows out of the water, destroys, you know, <laughs> this FIO or the, you know, other more affordable players? No, not really. It is a bit better. I do like listening to it more for sure. But I'll take the one with the Google Play Store access and the one that gives me RuneArk and PlexAmp every single time over and above the Aston and Kern because, yeah, I get the access to the music I want to listen to. So... I'm I'm quite excited by these two portable players. The the Sony news article was exceptionally well received. <laughs> by that I mean a lot mm. of people a lot mm. of people clicked it, you know, lots of people yeah. read that article. And I don't know anybody at Sony. I might buy one because it's 400 euros. It's going on sale this month. The Fio, I was just sent an email today offering me a, a review unit, so I might take that one as well. I don't know, it's about mm. to do with scheduling and whether I can do it because the more I take the more work I have to obviously, but I'm I'm interested to see if the fuck if the fuck if the fuck fu 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 sounds like David Byrne from Psycho Killer, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I'm interested to, to know if the Fio sounds better than the Sony or vice versa, because yeah, the Sony has a longer battery life, which again I think is a a killer draw card. Yeah, yeah. One reason I th I'm sure we've talked about or I've mentioned this before. One reason I don't really ever go down this road is I never go anywhere. <laughs> yes. But <laughs> that being said, when I do go places, um, you know, the longest 
these days, the longest trip I take, if I can make it, is to Munich. Mm -hmm. And so any kind of portable device, if it if it doesn't last for the duration of, of that flight <laughs> and and the before and after time, mm. you know, getting there, blah, blah, waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a no-go. I agree. You I mean, I mean yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think it's such a pity, really, because we're used to our smartphones, what, lasting 20, 24, 36 hours from f fairly mm. intensive screen time usage as well. But yes. These portable players, they just can't seem to keep up, even though they're running older versions of Android. Now, this is where, for me, things get a little bit mm. spicy. But mm. The great thing about them running native Android or close to stock Android is, yeah, we get the Google Play Store access, right? But the downside for me as a customer, I look at this and go, well, okay, mm. how long will, for example, Sony be rolling out security updates for... Uh the Android operating system on this portable player. Hmm. Because in maybe five years, perhaps it might be so long in the tooth, Android 10, that is, or Android 11, that, you know, we're, we're probably up to Android, what, 15, 16? And then maybe the Tidal app will no longer support Android 10 or 11. Maybe this, hmm. you know, the Spotify app will no longer support that. So hmm. that's, that's worth thinking about as well as the long-term support from the manufacturer. Um, I did Google this and Sony in their, for their mobile phones, they only give two years of updates. And then effectively it's like, it's left to swing in the wind, which is why yeah. I've never bought a Sony phone, even though I'm tempted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess to my mind, people turn phones over pretty, they're pretty disposable these days, <clears throat> but yeah. I agree with you, actually. It's a different matter lifespan-wise, though. Yeah. I think a portable player is something that you're probably going to be looking at to use for, what, three, four years? Yeah, I would think, at least, yeah. I, I think so. I and mean, if you're spending, you know, what, what represents significant money, you know, if it's not like an easy, like, you know, purchase <clears throat> financially, then, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to assume it's, it's longer than two years, put it that way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, now that these... Portable players are, are capable of native streaming apps, including Plexamp and including RuneArc. I'm very much, I wouldn't say super into them again, but I'm curious. Whereas before I was like, no, I'll just get my phone and a dongle DAC. But I know from even very recent experience in the hospital where I took a portable player, uh, a $500 portable player. I won't talk about it too much because we're going to do that review with Srijan and he's got one as well. But I hmm. did, yeah, I did compare the sound of that player to a phone with a couple of dongle dacks and the player destroys the sound of the phone with a dongle dacks, <laughs> blows it out of the water. No, it doesn't, but it is, it is a noticeable, noticeable difference. And you can see why people mm. spend the money on the portable player beyond having just a separate device for music. Cause I know a lot of people love having a separate device just for their music. So mm. I'm sort of coming around to that way of thinking again. But anyway, I mean, this is just two items. I didn't mention what this, the FIO is called. It's called the M11S. But it's also, it can be used as a USB DAC. It's a Bluetooth receiver. It's a Bluetooth sender or, or transmitter. So there are many ways to use it. I'm pretty sure the Sony also is a, a Bluetooth transmitter, but I doubt it's a receiver. Um, and yeah, I, I just think it's it, it's an interesting time to be into portable audio 
if you're on a tighter budget than say Sony's flagship player, which is 3,300 euros and mm-hmm. only comes yeah. with Android 10. So, you know, that's on the clock already. Imagine if you bought that and were only getting two years of software <laughs> updates. You'd be pretty pissed, I think. All right. Okay. Let's move on. You have a news item for us, Michael. I do. So uh, Total Deck, which is based in France, for those people who don't know, and essentially mm-hmm. is really all the products are designed by, uh, oh gosh, Vincent Brienne. Mm-hmm. I would, that's how I would pronounce his name. That's B-R-I-E-N-T. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond DAX, they, uh, the company also makes amplifiers and speakers and uh, streamer and reclocker. Uh, in any event, the news item is uh, Total DAC has come out with a, three new DACs mm-hmm. that all share the same basic architecture, which Vincent is calling uh, the Unity architecture. Okay. And this is news because uh, Totalac doesn't do this kind of major uh, design change very often. Mm. Uh, while they come out with new models fairly, you know, on a fairly frequent basis, those models are built upon the same architecture. And these are ladder decks, mm-hmm. resistor ladder decks. Um, so the the changes in the new Unity architecture. I mean, essentially, uh, the press release spoke about these changes in terms of measured improvements, um, lower jitter, lower noise in the digital section, and then the output stage has been uh, apparently fully redesigned, new components, new schematics. Uh, I'd imagine... Well, I'll leave it at that. And mm. also, um, there's a lower output impedance as compared to the older DACs. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to, you know, in a very general sense, um, you know, there's not, it's not long on detail. Mm-hmm. And these DACs still are based on the, he uses these V shaped foil resistors. Uh, so that the, the ladder DACs themselves, are still made from the from the same <coughs> components as the uh, existing DAC lines, mm-hmm. but uh, you know it's essentially it's it's tweaks uh, tweaks and refinement to the overall design mm-hmm. that supposedly accounts for improved measured performance, and clearly that would uh, indicate that <laughs> it's better uh, sound quality as well. Maybe uh, the. Has improved yeah, measure performance a guarantee of sound quality or better sound quality? I'm not so sure it necessarily it's not a one-for-one correlation, is it? No, that's not what I was saying. No, but Vincent claims hmm. improved sound quality. Okay. That's his claim in the press release. Um okay. it's very you know, it's um well let me let me stop here. So these three there are three uh models in the new Unity line, the hmm. D1 Unity which comes in at 11,500 euro outside of Europe. So it's excluding that. Mm-hmm. The D1 Tri-Unity at 22,000 euro, again, XVAT. And the D1 Sublime, which is a four-box unit, and that's 46,000 euro. I don't know whether to be more shocked by the price or the number of boxes in that last one. <laughs> Four boxes, wow, for a DAC. Yeah, well, it's it's not only the DAC that includes the uh, 
It includes the re the separate reclocker um, that's mm. sublime. Um, and I forget the other. Yeah, so it's two DACs in their own boxes and then the separate reclocker. Oh, I see. Okay. But I guess, I mean, yeah. you're reporting on this also because you're a total DAC user and have been for some years, right? Yeah, for very, yeah, you know, I'm bad with time. I've mentioned this before, but I reviewed, I think I rev first reviewed a total deck in 2012, roughly. Oh, wow. Okay. 10 years ago. Shit. Time frame. Yeah. And I've owned uh, a number of total decks and I own one today. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with the line and of course I'm a fan. Yeah, right. I mean, the pricing is very much high end. Like this is sort of, I guess you call it top floor Munich stuff, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, the DAC that I currently own, um, the G1 Tube DAC, mm. is, yeah, it's, uh, in the US, it's in the 6,000 range. Yeah, right. And that isn't their least expensive DAC, but it's near the bottom of the line. So yeah, these are not inexpensive items. I mean, it, I, I don't ever feel the need to justify prices because they are what they are. No one has to buy these things. But anybody who's interested, who likes to do parts count costs, can do the research and look up these V-shaped resistors, and they will find that they are not inexpensive. And there are hundreds of them in each of these decks, and the number of resistors on these DAC boards increases as you go up the line. So whatever. I mean, that is what it is. All right, let's, let's move on. Um, I've got a new, a new, a new, a new DAC announcement, um, from somebody else who's also on YouTube a lot and that's uh, PS audio. So PS audio have, uh, well, I think they've been teasing this for the longest time and maybe it's been out there to kind of forum regulars, but now they're shipping this new DAC out to the general public. It's the Direct Stream DAC Mark II, right? Mm. So as we know, the original was very popular. And I think, when did it come out? 20, was it 2014, 2015? Something like that, maybe 2013. Anyway, it was a long time ago. Mm. And what I think what was, time, yeah. what was unusual about it, and it's still the case in the second one, is that it contains FPGAs loaded with code from, in this case, Ted Smith. And mm -hmm. what that code does is it upsamples all incoming audio data to a 50-bit high sample rate data stream, and then down converts it to DSD. And I think they do that, or Ted Smith does that to strip out as much of the jitter as possible. And then I didn't know this until at the time when this product was announced that to decode a DSD stream, you don't need a complex circuit. You can do it with, I think, a, a capacitor and a resistor if you wanted to, because hmm. um, it's basically all you need is, is a low, let me get this right, yeah, low pass filter. So you want to strip out all the, the high frequency noise, right? Mm -hmm. But what PS Audio have done, they've again, they've gone with a pair of output transformers on the output stage. But things have changed a little bit with this DAC in that well, on, on the inputs, it's still got coax, Toslink, and USB, but it's now got two balanced digital inputs and two I-squared-S digital inputs. So mm. some people are into that, into those kind of very 
I guess you call them niche connectivity modes, you know, because they they believe they're going to get the purest signal from their source into the DAC. But I think the big, well, there's two big twists to this story. I guess the first one is is the galvanic isolation that PS Audio have apparently put on every single input, on every output, on the power connection and on the ground plane, right? Because we mm -hmm. often hear about mm -hmm. DACs being galvanically isolated on the inputs, but we know that electrical noise can kind of come in through the ground plane. So what PS Audio have done is they've also isolated that. So this thing technically is an electrically sealed unit. And I think they've done it with transformers, so I could be wrong. There are many ways to galvanically isolate something, but I think the most popular way is transformers. You can do it with optocouplers, but I think transformers yeah. is what they've done, yes. right? So, mm -hmm. and the second twist kind of explains the first a little bit because the second twist is there's no longer a touch screen on the front panel and there's no longer the, the card slot for the network bridge streaming module to go in the back. Now, hmm. when I hmm. saw this, I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I, I asked uh, CEO Paul McGowan why. And I'll, I'll read what he said because I don't want to misquote the guy. He wrote, we're moving away from big screens and going for a more minimal look. The bridge needed to get its own dual power supply and galvanic isolation in order to solve what we find is one of the biggest hurdles in streaming, variability in sound quality which we solved in the upcoming air lens that will be the com companion piece to the deck. Uh, now, there you go. There's a, there's a bit of business here from McGowan, like he's got an external streaming product coming, but it's interesting that he is citing the variability in sound quality. So what he's talking about here is like, depending upon what you feed the, I guess he's talking about the original direct stream with, will determine how good that DAC sounds, right? Because... Mm -hmm. It's determined by how much jitter the DAC can reject and how much electrical noise it keeps at bay. So I think what McGowan and his team have done with this new one is gone, well, okay, we want to get the best sounding DAC and make it more consistent between digital sources. Yeah. I mean, I don't, look, I don't know what to say about this, but I, you know, I, I find this DAC quite interesting because it, it is galvanically isolated as i said in my article out the wazoo like it's just everything is y yes it, in a very general sense <clears throat> so the what i the news that i reported on and then mm. this ps these are uh, these are companies refining their designs over time with things they've learned over time mm. you know um and they've and they address th these uh issues they find in very concrete ways <laughs> Uh, right. One example is how you're saying, you know, they've uh, they've galvanically isolated this new direct stream out the wazoo. Yeah, I think it would be an interesting experiment to try and find a DAC designer who who categorically states that source quality from a streamer makes no difference mm. whatsoever to DACs. Because I don't, I've never met one. They, every DAC designer I've ever spoken to always tells me, yeah, the thing we have to really do the dance with is source quality. As Paul McGowan said in his email reply to me, variability in source quality or sound quality. So it, it, um, it seems to be an ongoing thing for DAC designers. And I guess if you ain't ever designed a DAC, you might not know enough, <laughs> enough or not have enough experience 
as those who have designed DAGs. I don't know. I just find it interesting that, I don't know, expertise seems to be poo-pooed a little bit. You know, like, oh, that guy's a hack yeah. or that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Huh? I'll, hap I'll happily take the word of somebody who's designed a DAC over somebody who hasn't. This is a very spicy news item, isn't it? Yeah, for, in some everything is spicy in some circle. <laughs> uh, so Silent Angel, mm. uh, it's a company based in China that makes digital gear, has mm. just come out with their first external word clock. It's called the Genesis GX word clock. Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, uh, the bird's eye view... Why, like, why, what is a word clock? <laughs> why, why mm. do we need one? Every piece of digital gear, DAX, uh, for example, have internal clocks. Mm -hmm. And these, God, I, I don't even know if I want, <laughs> I well, didn't prepare myself to do well, this. The, yeah. The, the clocks time the data into the DAC chip. Y yes. Or they, yes, they, 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 they run a PLL, you know, like, so they'll, Essentially, yeah, recap the data as it comes. Yeah, which, as I know from a, a long podcast conversation with Mark Jenkins, are wholly unreliable in terms of sorting out, or can be wholly unreliable in, sorting, in terms of sorting out jitter. But yeah, I mean, yeah, because the has, Ethernet, yeah, Ethernet mm. uh, switches can have have their own little clocks in them. Mm. Uh, sending devices, receiving devices, it's not limited to a, a DAC. Um, and word clocks, let me just start here. Word clocks mm. have been in use in, in uh, pro audio in studios forever because they're, mm. uh, you know, clearly it's a much more complex environment where you're tying many more components together. Mm -hmm. And it's always best to, for each device in the chain to source that clock signal from one, use the same master clock source. Right. I mean, uh, if I could just interject here, just very mm. briefly for people who might not know what the hell we're talking about. So most people know, I think, that CD quality audio has a clock speed of 44,100 samples per, per second, right? Or 44.1 kilohertz. So that's the speed mm. at which that, or the, yeah, the, I don't want to say data rate or bit rate because it's different, right? But the sample yeah. rate, or well, there's 44,100 samples per second. Whereas mm -hmm. it's like the audio, say on your average TV streamer, like an Apple TV or a Google Chromecast, it runs at 48 kilohertz. So there are 48,000 samples, every audio samples every second. So those have to be clocked into a digital audio converter at that rate, right? And that mm -hmm. clocks accuracy including accuracy over time, can effectively stretch and compress the the analog signal that comes out of the other, the other side, right? Because if, if, if a sample is fed in too late, you get a stretching. If it's fed in too early, it, it kind of contracts, right? Because it's too close mm. to the previous sample. Oh God, have I just made it worse? <laughs> Maybe. No, it's, but it is, you know what? It is a fairly dense. It is. It, it's it's a fairly dense topic, and again, mm. I should have probably come up with a better way to just summarize 
Hmm. what it is uh, since i'm talking about an, a, mm-hmm. an external clock um however i guess it's i don't know is it does it suffice to say that the timing of a digital signal when it is converted to analog is important in terms of sound quality yeah because it does this stretching and compressing yeah yeah well yeah. i think it does yeah it's the best of my understanding. So the accuracy of the clock is really important. And often that the clocks inside DA converters aren't necessarily as good or as accurate as those that are clocked from ex- external boxes like this one, right? That's, yeah, that's a very good way. Yes, that's a very good way to put it. So, and, and you know, clocks, uh, temperature controlled clocks cost more than <laughs> your, mm. you know, some of the more basic clocks found in less expensive DACs put it that way right so it's again it's like a cost benefit blah 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 um so word clocks in in high-end hi-fi are also it's not a new thing dcs orlick uh, uh, other companies have been off have, have offered them for years um one interesting thing about the silent angel uh genesis gx is its price point Mm-hmm. And that is, it's uh, roughly 3,700 US, um, which I know it's, it's not an insignificant amount of money, but it's significantly less than some of the other clocks on the market. Mm. Um, it also offers four clock um, outputs. So you can have up to four devices um, hanging off of this unit which mm-hmm. yeah, i don't know you know could come in handy for people with more complex systems yeah i mean i think it's a very niche bit of gear like no doubt about it i mean it's word clocks themselves are super niche but when you've got one with four outputs i mean it's going to be for somebody i don't know maybe he's clocking four different DACs, and chances are that's going to be maybe a recording studio or maybe just somebody who's got four different DACs at home and wants to get the best out of all of them. Cause there are people out there like that. Who've just got an insane amount of gear. So yeah. it's, it's real. this is really not, it's not even for 99.9% of audio files. Right. And that's already a, a fairly small niche of people. So yeah, it's yeah. just, and also, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. It's a, certainly, I would call it essentially, to my mind, it falls into that not accessory category in a way, and also at thirty. Let's call it it's thirty six ninety nine. But at that mm. price point, to my mind, that means you've spent a very large multiple of that on your DAC. Yes, I agree. Right, yeah, like because at least that, at least twenty. You got a twenty grand, a forty grand. Maybe you've got the the Wadax DAC. You know, what I mean, one of those. <laughs> right, but that well, <laughs> yeah. But you know, because you know when. To my mind, when putting money into a system, you put the bulk of it into the main components. And then these devices, things like clocks and Ethernet switches, <laughs> come mm. much farther down the line in terms of you know the spend. It doesn't make sense to put a $3,600, $3,700 clock on a $1,000 DAC. You know. no, or even on a, on a $3,700 DAC, I wouldn't do it. I'd, I'd rather get a, a, a better DAC. I'd rather put more of my money into a DAC, you know, because the direct stream is eight grand. So do you buy like a, I don't know, a three and a half grand DAC and a three and one of the Silent Angel Genesis word clocks, or do you put all your money into the DAC? I probably would put all the money into the DAC and then, I don't know, I wouldn't even, I, do you know, Michael, I'm, I'm beyond 
I'm past ever really, I hate to say it, caring about um, clocks, external clocks. It just seems unnecessary complication hmm. in, in terms of, I want to try and create the most elegant solutions possible for my music playback at home. And I start to get twitchy now when I've got like pre-powers running, you know, pre-amp and a power amp, or if I've got hmm. a DAC that's not, you know, I'm using a DAC and it's not inside the preamp. So I don't know, like I'm very resistant yeah, I, to this sort of maximalist separate approach. It's not because I don't believe it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything audible. I just, for me, it just seems so convoluted and you've got more cables, more power, put more power cables. It's just, my brain goes, ah, it's too much for me, for me. Yeah. For, yes. I understand. I understand. Yeah. I, these days I am, I am a big fan of uh, streaming DACs and even streaming integrated amplifiers. And it's certainly worth noting that um, there are DACs out there. I'm not going to name names, but there are DACs out there <clears throat> that do an excellent job of rejecting a jitter, like even over USB. And you can, you know, whatever. Mm. And so... It's not to say, I guess one one valid point is to make about the usefulness or, or even effectiveness of something like an external clock. Um, it is in relation to, you know, how well the DAC, uh, what, how good of a job the DAC itself does at rejecting things like word clock jitter. Yep. Yep. Exactly and, that. That's and, exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not all decks are made the same. I mean, yeah, no. in theory, it would be lovely to be able to say that ah, it doesn't matter because the deck takes care of that, but it's just simply not the case. It is not the case. Anyway, and I, in, I, in do you reality. see this a lot? You see this a lot in press releases. You know, like make this. We've got this architecture that makes this deck jitter resistant. And I always look at it and go, hmm, no, I'm not writing that in my new story because that may or may not be true. And it just yeah. seems, in my experience, that's never true. You know, all, well, all DACs is... seem to be prone to jitter to some degree, and it varies. The, it, you know, it's a variable scale as to how how prone they are to jitter. Yeah, and this is something that you'll see in John Atkinson's measurements. Right. You oh, can okay. see. Yeah, he right. will talk about this. And, you know, and that, it, I think it's just an interesting point to to be made here. Yeah. You know, I used to think that all this was bunkum, right? Like when I first started reviewing, I used to think they kind of like, what are you talking about, Jitter and stuff like that? And then I bought um, my very first USB to spin-off converter, and it was made by a company called Audiophilio. And it was this oh, yeah. kind of qu quirky looking thing, right? It had, it, mm. I think it connected directly to the USB output, if I'm right, of the source device. And, and or no, no, it didn't. It, it coupled directly uh, spin-off coax to the back of the DAC and then you feed it USB. And I was astonished at how much of a difference that made to the sound of the DAC to which it was connected. And then it, because I was living in Australia at the time, a lot of us, we all bought audiophilios because it made such a, such a, I won't say night and day difference, but enough of a difference to kind of go, yeah, 500 bucks for that. It's worthwhile. You wouldn't put it on a five. Well, actually, we, a lot of us were using it on a, hmm. was it one of the very first Metrum DACs? Maybe like one of the really uh, early ones. Yeah. I can't, can't remember which one it was called. But I mean, I'm talking... 2010, 2011. Yeah. So 
And that was from experience, but not just ex my own experience, experience when friends were there and I'd, I would demonstrate it for them. And they go, oh my God, yeah, wow. And then they would buy one. And then we'd go to, you know, that friend's house and have a listen, you know, in and then not in. And then it's just every time it was just perfectly audible. So that was where I kind of, that was my first taste of better clocked digital audio or, hmm. or not allowing as much electrical noise in theory to travel from the source computer, i.e. a MacBook into the DAC. But it does, yes. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, like I reach, yeah. I reach the ceiling of my own, uh, my own understanding of this subject matter pretty quickly. So I can, I'm, I'm much better talking about this from an experience point of view. They am from a, a theoretical point of view. And there are probably many people out there who would just, yeah, listen to me talk going, Oh God, this, what's this guy talking about? Um, but yeah, I just, I've just tried things and I kind of know that that makes a difference to that or makes less of a right. difference to that. So yeah. Mm. Anyway, um, mm. we're going to talk, we're going to talk about <laughs> something even spicier now, aren't we? Which is also right. made, made by silent angel. And the reason we're talking about it is that you had a bunch of silent angel gear in for review recently. Yes, I reviewed their Munich M1T streamer, mm -hmm. the Forrester uh, external power supply, mm -hmm. and their Bon um, N8 mm -hmm. uh, Ethernet switch, audiophile-grade right. Ethernet switch. Now, the reason we're talking about this is because you and I were chatting on the phone about it, and I'll... <laughs> And what, well, you tell me your experience. We're not going to talk about any of the other stuff. We're just going to hone in on the Bon N8 Ethernet switch, which sells for five hundred forty-nine US dollars, right? Yes. Now, I'm I'm not going to do the whole like if you pop it open, it's just a it's a twenty dollars switch inside because I, I don't. Well, you tell me your experience of you know what you found from putting this into that system. Yeah. So just the the brief. Uh, environment slash setup i already own an ethernet switch which mm -hmm. i use uh, as part of my um network mm -hmm. here in the barn um and that is a trend net uh green net switch mm -hmm. um and it's roughly let's call it thirty dollars um mm -hmm. and so what I did was I, I was I was able to put these switches side by side in a in a rack, both powered on, both having a Ethernet connection to the router. And so mm -hmm. I could simply switch the connections going out to my audio gear and also to the my server mm -hmm. on the fly, basically. Yep, yep, I mean you do yep. it fast enough you don't even get a drop out and 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 then listen. And, and see if, you know, I mean, that's what I do, right? <laughs> when reviewing anything. And um, really, the long story short is I heard no difference between the two switches. Right. Because when you told me that on the phone, I was like, haha, let me tell you something, Michael. You don't mm. know this, but I actually bought one of those switches two or three years ago. Yeah. Um, the Silent Angel Bond N8. And at the time when I bought it, I thought, if it makes a, an appreciable, audible difference, I'll probably write about it on the website. I won't make a video. Mm. I'll make, in fact, it might have been before I started making videos or maybe just when I started. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, like you, I found, I mean, I, I'm using a, or was using a $20 Netgear switch and I put the Silent Angel in and I didn't hear a difference. And I took it out and put the other one back in, the, you know, the cheap $20 one and just the same to me. Now, yeah. I got to be careful here because I'm not saying it doesn't make a difference to other systems because it might. Maybe my system mm. isn't resolving enough. I don't know. But I just, I think it's interesting to let, well, let, let our listeners know when we try something and don't hear any improvement. I mean, I think we owe it to our listeners to do that, which is why we're, we're talking about it today, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is the case. I mean, I was, I have to say going in, I was a bit, um, how can I put this? This wasn't a review I was very excited about doing. You mean of, of the Ethernet it. switch itself, right? Yeah. Or the whole, right, okay. Yeah. Comparing Ethernet switches, yeah. Yeah, it just, um, because again, it's so far down the food chain. Mm -hmm. of of relevance uh for most people i would say um you know that it's uh tedious a bit it's a bit tedious the whole idea of it but i'm just you know it's just the way it is but nonetheless i approached it as i do anything else and exactly did comparisons and and gave it actually quite a bit of time because I wanted to make sure that, you know, my attitude wasn't affecting what I hear because, you know, this some it's very common for people to talk about bias in a negative way and suggest that you're hearing things because you want to hear them, essentially. But bias cuts both ways. If you are mm -hmm. biased that something is not going to make a difference, you're not going to hear a difference. It's just the mm -hmm. way bias works. It's not a one-way street. So... You know, my attitude was, let's say, skeptical about about this making a difference. Um, so I wanted to make sure I was giving it a fair shake. You know, so I, did, I, I actually went through the steps I go through with most things that I review. Um, you know, playing tracks that I know very well um, and, and spending time, you know, real time mm. comparing. So in the end, though, no. I didn't hear any appreciable difference. Um, and that's that. Yeah, that is that. It really is. I mean, I, I've still got the, the the switch in the corner. I mm. still use it because oh, I'm not going to sell it. I mean, what's the point? But I mean, well, it works. If, <laughs> it does what it yeah, needs to do. It does. I mean, it, it could be. I mean, it's unlikely that. See, I've got um, a modem router in the corner of my lounge room here which is a, a Fritz box. So if you're in Germany, you'll know what a Fritz box is, but it's just a brand. Mm. And then it's connected to a $25 switch. And then that is connected to the, the Silent Angel. So I'm not going direct to the router from a Silent Angel. I'm going to, to a switch and then to a router, to a $20 switch, because I have to get a cable running all the way around the room. I'm not running, well, I don't know, 15, 20 meters of cable. So I kind of go mm. from, I put a switch in each corner essentially, and then just go around like that. So, but basically my hi-fi streamers are all connected to the silent angel. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, like, I guess that's a fairly typical use case. Some people might say, well, you should really have it connected directly to your router, John. Fair enough. I don't, I'm just explaining this so people know the context, right? The context by which yeah. I formed my opinion. 
right? So yes. it's just, um, yeah. Now, I, I am I'm going to go somewhere I did not go in my review. Okay, look out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. because there are things that are that I didn't say mm. um, that I'll say now. Um, okay, and one of those things is the fact that I didn't hear a difference. Um, doesn't isn't the same as me saying that audiophile grade Ethernet switches are snake oil. They're nonsense. That there's no reason for them, and on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. It's a very loaded subject. There's videos out there, people saying they're snake oil, they're a ripoff because there's no reason for them. Articles, mm -hmm. you name it. And that, I'm, I am not saying that. Right. At all. That is not a conclusion I will comfortably draw from my experience. Well, no. And all I would say is that if anyone watches a video, about this subject or mm. audiophile ethernet switches or reads an article about how they're nonsense and they're bullshit. And the word analog is never once mentioned mm. in the video, then that video or article are useless because the person doesn't understand the subject they're talking about in hi-fi there's a device inevitably somewhere in there called a digital to analog converter where that digital signal is converted to analog. And if someone is suggesting that digital is immune to any of these, you know, to noise and blah, 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 that is the case in the digital realm with the exception of extreme cases where things aren't functioning properly. But when you mm. get into the analog realm, that's no longer the case. You're dealing with an analog signal. So if someone is telling you that a device that lives in a hi-fi system is bullshit, snake oil, can't possibly do anything because it's a digital device, and they never once say the word analog, they don't know what they're talking about. That's what I'm saying. Right. So if I've got a streaming deck, say, for example, right, and that's connected to my, for example, yeah. Silent Angel switch, you're saying there is a direct electrical connection between that switch and the streaming deck. And because the deck has an analog output stage, that is part, well, is obviously part of the playback, playback chain and is not immune to the shit that goes on before it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, and if okay. anybody, you know, is already feeling a little skeptical about even this, I, I suggest you search and do research on noise in mixed signal systems. Right. Okay. Is that what, so you're saying it starts when a signal starts digital and then gets converted to analog, it's a mixed signal system. It is by definition. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and the issues of noise in mixed signal systems is textbook stuff. Right. This is not to, anything to do with hi-fi. This is to, it's, you know, I mean, it's just common knowledge. You could find white papers by Texas Instruments, analog devices, you okay. know, DAC, DAC chip manufacturers talking about how to try and solve problems of noise and mixed signal systems. And more importantly, how noise travels, uh, can travel from the digital domain to the analog domain in mixed signal systems. So this is just like basic stuff, yeah. Because this is not a, it's not a data issue, because as you no, and I both, both know, that Ethernet has error checking and error correction. 
So all the data that gets sent arrives eventually at some point, right? It, so of it, course. It, it, right. So it's not, we're not talking about uh, a switch in the sense that it somehow messes the data up, right? No, Correct. It, can't, it can't happen. It's not like USB. A lot of people think the USB has data correction for USB audio, and it does not, does mm. not. But Ethernet does. So we're not talking about that. I think it's important to say that because people will think we're we're going off on one about how oh, they go, oh, Ethernet is you know, you know, data corrected, so how could it possibly make a difference? I mean, from what you're saying, Michael, you're saying it's more of an electrical noise issue than anything else, potentially. Potentially, yes, but yeah, without getting into the weeds. Um, well, I won't again, go into the weeds. I don't know where the weeds are. So I kind of, you know, I get lost pretty quickly when I start to talk about the weeds. But I know what you're saying. It's a technical argument. I can't speak to it. There are people out there who can, maybe. Yeah, there are. And there's, again, there's plenty of information outside of the world of hi-fi that anyone who's remotely interested can uh, can look into very easily and and looking at noise and mixed signal systems is a easy place to start because there's endless amounts of information on this out there that mm. have nothing you know that's not hi-fi biased in any way so uh, well if you're just so an average yeah. hi-fi person you could just go and you could either buy one of these or borrow one of these and just try one out and then that shortcuts all the kind of internet research you've got to do. You just try it in yeah. your own system. Yes. Does it make a difference? Yes or no? Yeah, I've certainly read any. Uh, I've read a few reviews, not of this. Uh, I read one review actually of this switch, mm. the Silent Angel, and the reviewer did find a positive improvement. I've read other reviews of much more expensive Ethernet switches, where the reviewers did find. Uh, positive results from using them. Right, right. So, uh, you know, in my, again, yeah, I, I, I'm not suggesting that. Like, I have some in-depth knowledge about this stuff, but I've spent many years dealing with it. And actually, I've met a few people along the way who are experts in the field of noise and mixed signal systems who mm. actually spend their livelihood uh, rooting out problems uh, at a very high level in labs, that's their job and their life, who have explained to me why it's possible mm. that something like, uh, you know, whatever, that that digital, yeah. when you get into a mixed signal system, like a DAC, <laughs> a digital yeah. channel converter, how, mm. how things like electrical noise can impact the quality of the analog output, that's all. And it's not like some like crazy audio science. This is basic general science. So yeah. yeah, but see, when when you say that, that that's what I've heard people say. But I can't speak to it beyond that. Like I can say, electrical noise messes with the analog output stage of the DAC. But if you're going to ask me how, why, in what way, I don't know. I don't know beyond that, right? I know I do know that. Mm. That's what I've been told by people that design these things, right? But that's 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 where my my knowledge ends yeah i mean back in the audio stream days i did an interview with charlie hansen uh the late charlie hansen of air acoustics mm. gordon rankin of wavelength and steve silverman who at the time i believe was with uh audio quest and the car and it was called something like there's no such thing as digital you know purposefully right mm. clickbaity but nonetheless and they these they <laughs> 
you know, hey, you got to do what you got to do, you know. But no, these guys talked in depth, you know, about about the subjects we're talking about mm. and pointed out things like, um, like what do you think is being passed down a, a cable, even, um, even an Ethernet cable? Like, mm. you know, in a real sense, like, what do you think it is? Do you think they're little tiny ones and zeros traveling down that yeah. cable? Yeah, you right. know, what is it? And it's a square uh, wave. Right. So it's an, an electrical signal. It's an electrical signal represents, you know, if you want a picture, it's represented by a square wave. And um, there are electrical and noise effects that can alter that square wave and, again, cause problems when that signal is converted to analog that will never, ever be a problem when, as if things remain in the digital domain because mm. they're not important. Yeah. Timing, okay. blah, blah, blah. blah. So, <laughs> Yeah, sorry. All right. No, no, I just, I mean, okay, I, <laughs> I'm just conscious of time. Enough! And no, I well, know, because we're all, you know, we just, I'm also, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm conscious of, you know, us flogging a dead dead horse. Well, not flogging a dead horse, it's just getting another horse and flogging it again and then just, yeah, yeah, yeah. endless, endless yeah. horses, endless flogging. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's move, let's move on to um, a topic that was originally, well, when we were originally going to record this podcast before my eye went wonky. Um, it was going to be about what's coming up this year, what we're going to do mm. this year, right? What you and I are going to be undertaking. And actually at the start of the year, I, I made a video about 10 products that I want to review this year. And I just thought I'd give a bit of an update to listeners on how far I've got with that list, because I'm not going to repeat the list and just go, well, that's it, because that's the same as the video, right? Mm. So I'm just looking at the list right now. So the Cambridge Audio Alva TT V2 turntable, Cambridge are sending that to me mm. in a couple of weeks. Uh, the Goldnir Forcefield 30 subs, two of them. Goldnir are sending me those in a couple of weeks. Mm. I spoke to what was Sound United and is now Massimo. That's it. They're called Massimo. Huh. So, okay. yeah, I spoke to, well, basically the same guy that I used to speak to at Sound United is now my guy at Massimo. And he says that he can send me a Marantz SACD30N and some Bowers and Wilkins 703 S3 oh, in a couple sweet. of in a couple of months, right? But mm. I think they're also going to send me the Hypex Marantz amp, which I think is called the is it just called the 30? No, I don't know what it's called. The amplifier that I think you've reviewed it. Class D Marantz amplifier from last year, before the 40N. The uh, yeah, the stereo 30. Stereo 30, that's the one. Yeah, I think they're going to send mm. me one of those just to use yeah. with the Bowers and Wilkins, right? So sure, that's yeah. that's in motion. I spoke to Sennheiser. I asked them for the IE900, and then they came back to me and said, yeah, but a bunch of the comments under the video said, no, John, you need to get the IE600. So I had to kind of sheepishly go, uh, actually, can you send me the IE600 instead? Because apparently the 600 is better than the 900 according to many people so i thought okay mm. well i'll go with the mm. one that seems to have you know got the most praise but sennheiser came back to me and went look we'll send you the 900 the 600 and we'll also send you the new 200 that was just announced at ces so they're sending me all the ims i've already got the 300 myself because i bought them so mm. yeah so that those are coming i don't know when actually soon ish i think so that just leaves me to sort out Dali Rubicon 5, uh, the 
Monitor Audio Platinum 103G, Wharfdale Linton Heritage, which I'm very keen to get. Mm. The, the yeah. Prima Luna Evo 400, I have now. It's already ah. already uh, toasting up my room nicely. Um, <laughs> it sounds beautiful, actually. It really does. It really does. Mm. Um, I thought I've got to have a grumble about this, and you'll, you'll appreciate it. The manual. I'm going to put this in the video, but the manual. It's just pieces of A4 photocopied paper clipped together in the corner with a stapler. Like it's a six grand piece. This is not good enough. It's not good enough for an amplifier like this. It, mm. You know, I've, I, I get $50 streaming decks that have a better manual than that. <laughs> That's not cool. Yeah. Right. Everything yeah. else about this product is wonderful. Why do they skimp out on the manual printing? Mm. It looks like a, a flyer you might get at like a, I don't know, when you go to some <laughs> kind of public speaking event or somebody's, you know, you go to a meeting at work and they're like pass around the minutes from the last meeting and somebody's had to gobble them together, quickly staple the corner. Ah, dear, oh dear. So yeah, Prima Luna, sorry, your manual game, it's, uh, it, it needs work. Um, but the amplifier itself is very nice sounding. Um, I think, is that it? I think that's it on my list of 10 things. I think I've gone through them all. Oh, the Hi-Fi Rose. Um, the RA-180. The RA-180. Ah, one with all the freaky knobs and dials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, I've got to um, got to organise that. But I think I'm doing that via the USA. I think I am. Anyway, so that's that's where I'm at with the products that I want to review this year. But I I do want to qualify this right because obviously, if I make a sort of wish list of ten products, it doesn't factor in any new product announcements that I'm I might have to kind of slot into that schedule because some products are more time sensitive than others. So a lot of these bits of gear are, you know, a year, maybe two years old. I I'm aware of that. They're just things that I want to play with just mm. my, my own, for my own edification or my own enjoyment. Just, I just sort of plucked them from a, yeah, from the tree really. Um, but yeah. there are things that kind of come out where I think I really, I really should look at that. Or I know my audience will want me to look at that because I'm always having to balance, you know, it's a tightrope or it's, it's, you have to keep the rope tight between what I want and what my audience wants. Mm -hmm. And neither can hold too much sway. And I might give a little to my audience sometimes, and then I'll pull it back and kind of go, well, no, 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 it's my turn to choose what I want to do. Yeah. 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 Right? So, I mean, I'm sure you go through this as well, but yeah, this, this list of 10 is just like a, a pie in the sky list and it assumes no interruptions, but of course there will be interruptions. There'll be new products where I'm like, okay, that new pair of streaming active loudspeakers, I need those yesterday. Mm. So that's going to squeeze in. So it might take me all year or the best part of nine months to get through this list of 10. So yeah, yeah. yeah. just to let people yeah. know that it's not going to be like 10 weeks and they're done. No way. <laughs> yeah yeah that's funny like i i will i do post when things arrive i do a post to let people know that what's here mm -hmm. i call them in barn posts but uh yeah i guess i'll start with what's already basically public information but i i am embarking i've just begun actually the process but on reviewing a whole bunch of phono stages um, right. And I would say a number of them being in the starting in the entry price range on up. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I get in brief, there's the, uh, the shit Manny. Mm -hmm. Yes. The Manny two actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and I'm not going to do pricing on each one, but so the Manny's at 149. I have the MoFi uh, Studio Deck, uh, which interests me. I'm sorry, it's called Studio Phono. Studio Deck is the table. Okay. The MoFi right. Studio Phono Phono Stage uh, was designed by uh, Tim DeParvicini mm-hmm. of Ear, and that's like 500. Oh no, it's only three, 349. Wow. So I'm real that that because uh, I. I'm a, hu- a huge fan of the ear uh, products. I also have the ear, the famous ear. It's now called the Phono Classic uh, Phono Stage in for review. I've got the Lejeune Clue Slipsic 8. <laughs> I don't know what you just said there, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting company. Alex Halberstadt, um, who I'm sure most people know, writes for Stereophile, he reviewed one of the upper level phono stages from this company and, and was very impressed. Mm. I have the Aurora Sound Vita, I guess, a V-I-D-A, Vita mm. Prima Phono Preamp. That's about 1,200. I have the Hegel V10. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, and the Manly Chinook Special mm. Edition MK2 uh, Special okay. Edition. That's available from Upscale uh, Audio, right. and that's around three grand, a little over. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a good, it's a really interesting sampling. And I have to say, I'm super excited to dig in uh, to this. Mm. And largely because, you know, I'm very curious about what each one brings to the table. So um, that's going to be fun. And then, you know, the rest of the year, uh, I'll say, I don't know if this is. I would imagine you may have felt this or experienced it as fully as I have, but there are times, certainly there were times this past year where I felt like I was on a treadmill that someone else started. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It was, yeah, it was just, you know, I tried to publish a review a week last year. I had a number of weeks where I published two reviews in a week. And uh, for me, that's a that's a um, demanding schedule because of just Usually, the way I go yes. about things. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, and and they're kind of. I guess what I meant with the treadmill analogy is that what I what I am intentionally trying to do for this year is is take more time in planning the things I want to review so that they there's what I see as a, a better connection and relation and logical progression um, between things I review over time. And also with an eye toward reviewing, you know, when you're reviewing speakers, um, when I review speakers, I always want to have um, amplification that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be reviewing some uh, more costly speakers this year um, you know, in the $30,000 range. And I, I, I will certainly have amplification that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, and you know, it's timing I, again, I don't know about you, um, John, but this past year timing was a bit more sketchy, even well, since COVID, you know, because, uh, delivery dates and shipping, uh, you know, things were a bit more unpredictable. In yeah, terms of I getting don't... gear when when I was supposed to, and to, through no fault of you know the manufacturers, it was just you know supply chain issues again, shipping, international shipping, just crazy, 
craziness. So hopefully that will change this year so that things will fall into place more, you know, in a more timely fashion. But um, Mm. in any event, yeah, yeah, I'll be reviewing more just, uh, you know, essentially the same types of things, speakers, amplification, DAX, you know, Mm. I'm not What's so sure you'll see many more Ethernet switches come across, but you never know. I, I guess never say never. Yeah, I'm still not doing DAX or streamers or things yeah. like that. I just have to kind of focus on the things I think have a much bigger impact on what we hear. I'm going to do a whole – actually, I, yeah, I'm going to do um maybe three, four videos about the room again. Yeah. No, I, say again yeah. I say again, it's like I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to try and do it better. So, because I think the room is hugely important to loudspeaker listeners, and I, I actually have a lot of fun doing it, and I can, yeah, I'm just, it's just it's almost like refining my process. Really, it's just I've got, I've got another chance to do it soon, so I'm going to, mm. you know, have a look at a effectively a new room because I'm moving house, right? So, um, I can look at that from scratch, which yeah. is what I'm going to do. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be kind of interesting but it means i'm not really going to be on the sort of consumer electronics hardware treadmill as much for the next couple of months maybe not until april may um because this is all part of me taking a busman's holiday you know while i'm still working but Hmm. you know trying to take it a little bit easier and not do what i always do is i tend to bite off more than i can chew I'll go, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. And then I end up with like yeah, a lounge, yeah. literally a lounge full of gear, which drove me crazy. And, and now I don't have a lounge full of gear. I um, do. Right. <laughs> Boy, well, you've got a massive I, barn. Yes. You, yeah, but you've got a huge space for it. I mean, I've got uh, yeah, six meters yes, by yes, five yes. meters here. That's it, you know? So, yeah, I'm just, I've got to be a bit more savvy with my planning. But mm. I think I'm this year I'm going to have a bit more space for spares. So it might work a bit. Yeah, it might be a bit easier. We'll see. We'll see. I want to come back to the the thought experiment that we started with, right? Ah, so yeah. basi- basically, the uh, the turntable belts. So the, so the one the rubber belt that sells for a, a dollar, they sold a thousand of them, right? Mm. But then they sold one of a ten thousand dollar slash euro turntable belt, right? Mm. And I asked you which was the best selling, and you said the one they made the most of, not the one that made the most revenue. Now yes. this is important because. Over Christmas, I start, well, I think, yeah, I think it was Sky News I first saw this, December 28th. And Sky News' headline read, vinyl sales overtake CDs for the first time in 35 years, and the best sellers might surprise you. I thought, okay, that's odd, and I read it. And then the following day, DJ Mag, vinyl sell, sorry, this is the headline again, vinyl outsells CDs in the UK for the first time in 35 years. And then I thought, hang on a minute, why are they all saying the same thing? Mm. And then about a week ago, well, yeah, Music Week went with, this is the headline, vinyl outsells CD for the first time in 35 years as total music sales reach £2 billion. This is about mm. the UK, right? This is a UK music sales. And then the NME also last week, vinyl outsells CD for first time in 35 years. So I'm thinking, why? They're all saying the exact same thing. What's going on? So you look into these articles, and what it is, is there's a body called the Entertainment 
Retail Association. And I think they've sent either a press release or a bulletin out to a bunch of mainstream publications, basically. Hmm. And it's detailing revenue for different music formats, amongst other things. But I've got to quote the, uh, they call it the ERA. So the ERA's press release or data bulletin, which is available online. I've linked to it on my, from my website. It says, vinyl album sales grew 11% to 150.5 million pounds. This is hmm. in 2022. While CD album sales fell 17.4% to 124 million pounds. The first time vinyl outsold CD by value since 1987. Uh, now those yeah. those words by value are really doing a lot of the heavy lifting in that sentence, right? Because by value means total revenue. So we've looked at all the revenue coming in from CDs and we find it's 124 million pounds. We've looked at all the revenue coming in from vinyl and we found it's 150 million pounds, right? Yeah. So by that metric all of these articles that ran with vinyl sales overtake CDs for the first time in 35 years have conflated revenue with actual sales. Do you see what I mean? So yeah, for example, volume. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So if we, if I was to take the kind of the Sky News, DJ Mag, Enemy, Music Week, Week approach to reporting on the essential turntable belt companies' sales figures for 2022, <laughs> I would say that the luxurious belt that sells for 10 grand was the best seller because it brought yeah. in the most money even though they only sold one, right? And <laughs> right. sold a thousand of the other. So it's, you know, the one that brings in the most money makes it the best seller. I don't think that's the case, right? But it was just so odd to me that these yes, magazines yes, would yes, all yes. run the same, the same story, but not one of them would, well, they'd wait until the body of the article to state that it was actually, we're talking about revenue here and not units sold. Now, for me to say, hmm this thing outsells this other thing, I'm talking about, I would have to be talking about the number of units sold, right? Yeah. I, like, do you know what I mean? If I had a lemonade stand and I sold orange juice and lemonade and I sold 10 lemonades and one orange juice, I would say that the lemonade <laughs> outsells the orange <laughs> juice, right? Because right. it's units sold. Even, even if the lemonade made me more money just one of them. Like I had to sell it for like 20 bucks. Sorry, not that the orange juice made me more money for 20 bucks. Right? right. It's not about revenue when it comes to this outselling that. But I think for hmm. these mainstream mags, I'm guessing, I don't know. The, the headline vinyl sales overtake CDs for the first time in 35 years. That's a punchy headline. Who, who isn't going to like take something away from that, but it sure. takes effort to read it, to understand that they're actually not talking about yeah, sales volume or units sold, they're talking about revenue. Yeah, and then it yeah, becomes yeah. kind of like, oh, that's, is it, oh, it's revenue. Okay. That's a bit different. And the reason it's different is this, as you and I know, Michael, as many listeners will know, <laughs> is that vinyl records are way more expensive than CDs. So if you go and buy a new release on, on CD, and then you go and buy a vinyl LP version of the same thing, it might cost you 50% more for the vinyl. It might cost you up to 100% more, maybe even more than that. But the yeah. vinyl is definitely, definitely, definitely going to cost you quite a bit, not like a couple of bucks, but like five, 10, 15, maybe $20 more than the CD. Hmm. Always, right? CDs are cheaper. So 
when you're when you you know when we think about vinyl generating more revenue we know it's not just because of the number of units sold but also because of the price per unit so we yeah. need to know the number of units sold because the price per unit distorts the picture so I was getting my panties in a tangle by, <laughs> with all of these articles, right? Because I was, I was actually reading the last two, the enemy and the music one, in hospital, going, "What? This is not true. That vinyl is not outselling CDs. It's not." So, I actually didn't find the, the the information that I wanted to find until today. So I went to the BPI's website. That's the British Phonographic Industry. They're yeah. the guys that put put on the Brit Awards every year. So it's like the IFPI. So it's the organization that looks after the music industry or overseas the music industry in the UK. And they had an article on their website published, I think, just last week. And it's a bit of a weird one because it's titled British Artists in a Historic Clean Sweep of 2022's Official Top 10 Singles. Because in this article is a lot of sales data units sold for what happened in 2022 in the British music industry. And I stumbled across, th across this paragraph, and I'll read this to you, right? And the, the first sentence is a sucker punch, right? It's like, there were 11.6 million CDs and 5.5 million vinyl LPs purchased across the year, as well as 195,000 cassettes and 3.7 million album downloads. And so it goes on. Vinyl LPs represented 31.7% of all physical purchases, right? So mm -hmm. I'll repeat the numbers. 11.6 million CDs, 5.5 million vinyl LPs, right? Right. So right. it's quite clear that in the UK, CDs are still outselling vinyl two to one. And yes. that, kind of, that kind of jives with last year's figures where it was close to three to one, because when I say last year, I mean 2021. In the mm. UK, British people bought 14 million CDs and 5 million vinyl LPs. So it was, yeah, close okay. to three to one okay. there. So obviously CDs have gone down from 14 million to 11.6. Mm. Vinyl LPs have only gone up 10% from 5 million to 5.5. Mm. But CDs are still outselling vinyl. So these headlines about vinyl outselling CDs for the first time are patently not true. Vinyl yes. did not outsell CDs in the UK last year. No, <laughs> yes. no, no. You know, and I guess this, this kind of, I don't want to get all sort of like the lamestream media about it because I'm not, and I don't want to get like that, but it, it just seems that there's, I don't want to get all conspiracy theorists about it, but like, why is there this narrative that seems that everyone wants to jump to vinyl sales? Well, I say everyone, these major press publications mm. jumping to vinyl sales, overtaking CDs for the first time in 35 years. It's almost like they're parroting something that I haven't seen or that we we can't see because they're all singing from the same hymn sheet, you know, press release. Mm. I don't know what it is. Mm. Really, really odd, right? And it's not yeah. true. That's the thing. It's not true. Yeah, just, well, yeah, it's yeah, yeah it's very, it's mis the way these press releases or the even the headlines they're 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 just misleading. They're not right. accurate. They're misleading using the the way the language is typically, you know, used. Yeah, they're they're very misleading. I mean, I don't. Mm. Of course, I have no idea, uh, but I I do have some guesses, <laughs> and one of them is. You know, the vinyl, this whole vinyl resurgence thing is a story that sells. 
It is. Uh, my best guess is that the the music industry globally is done with CDs. They just want them out the door. They want them gone hmm. because, hmm. well, CDs can be copied, even though they're probably not very much anymore. Whereas vinyl absolutely cannot. And I would, um, I'm going to guess that the, the margins on vinyl are greater than CDs. So the retailer probably likes vinyl more than CDs. Uh, used to be so, the case that CDs represent a, had a much higher margin than vinyl, but that used was, to be, used to be. Yeah. yeah, I don't know today. Yeah, yeah, but it used to be when so when CDs came out. Oh God, we're we going back now to the mid '80s. So a typical LP, vinyl LP, in the UK in the '80s was like six quid, six pounds. Hmm. And when CDs came out, they were twelve pounds. They were go. double. Yeah, and yeah, now it's yeah. we got we've got almost flipped. the inverse. Yeah, yeah, it's completely flipped. So yeah. I would guess that pretty confidently that vinyl is generating more mm. profit. So, and if you're in the business of generating profit as the BPI are for all of its members, yeah, of course, you're going to be very bullish about vinyl. Right. But I, I think it's just doing a disservice, A, to truth, because <laughs> that matters in this kind of situation, mm. right? It's not like, oh, whoops, I made a mistake. It's like, no, you're bending the truth to fit your own sort of, to your own ends, maybe. I got to be so careful because I, I hate conspiracy theorists that can't substantiate yeah, their argument. And, I, <laughs> yes, and I'm yes, being like yes. that here, right? Yes, you're going there. But <laughs> I am. Yeah. But, I mean, the other thing I was going to say is I think some, you know, sometimes with these type of articles, they're just repeated lazily. Yes, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. One picks up the headline from the other and kind of yeah. goes, Per Sky News. Yeah I, yeah, I see that. And this won't be the last time I rant about this, Michael, because I think the BPI <laughs> published their official report in March. I think there'll be an official report in March. And then there'll be the American one from the IFPI. It'll be interesting yeah. to see how, how they sort of try and quietly bury the CD's reluctance to kind of go away quickly, <laughs> which is how I, how I perceive it to be, right? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, but... As you, I mean, I'm more into CDs than I probably ever have been in my life. Mm. So maybe mm. that's probably why I take this kind of shit to heart. I'm like, don't kill the CD just yet. <laughs> or at least let, let us, those of us who enjoy the CD, continue to enjoy it without pretending it's not popular when it is. Right? It's just, I don't know. Yeah, I just I no. think it's, it's, it's a bit of a, a bizarre one. So yeah, I guess that's yes, another. I see it's really gotten under your skin, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what you're talking about, Michael. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, so recommended albums to round it, round this off. Yes. Yeah. 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 You you go first. You go first. Okay. I was yeah. I went. I went a little um, time travelly and gear shifty, uh -huh. in in it, with this selection. Uh, so the the album I am recommending is by an Italian, safe, easy to say, classical contemporary composer, and his name mm. is Giancinto Celsi. That's S-C-E-L-S-I. And the album is okay. called uh, Natura Renovature. It's from 2006, and it features... Mm -hmm. The cellist, her name is um, God. I've written about it so many times. I'm blanking on this woman's <laughs> name, Frances Marie, and it's it's pronounced Etty, but it's U I T T I. And um, so Skelsey is an odd one. He's he was 
I don't, I won't drag this out, but he was born, I think in 1905. He was essentially the first Italian composer to bring people like Schoenberg to perform in Italy. So he kind of introduced the the, the introduced the Italian classical community mm-hmm. to to twelve uh, tone music and and for a while he studied under someone of that school, um, but the long story short was basically his wife left him and he had a serious breakdown. And he was um, basically, I don't know if I could, you could say he was institutionalized, but he went away. He came from a wealthy mm. family. So I don't believe he ever had to worry about working for a living. But he went away and, and basically came and was silent, didn't speak for, I think it was a, more than a year, and came out of this with a whole new outlook on everything, including how he wanted to make music. And you could say this new outlook had a lot to do with Eastern music. Mm-hmm. So his music is not like anything else. And uh, this cellist, uh, Francis Marie Etis, uh worked with him for, I think it was over 10 years. And he wrote a lot of music f- specifically for her. She developed, in conjunction with him, some modifications to the cello, some other devices to make his music come to life. So it's it's music unlike anything you've heard, really. And I find it mm. to be very meditative and really quite beautiful if you give it the time. So it's uh, this album also was released by ECM, so it's incredibly good sounding. Very oh, well it's recorded. one of those. It's the ECM. only uh, Chelsea music released by ECM. It doesn't really fit their typical, if I could say it that way, their typical output. It's a bit... Uh, mm. It's a bit edgier, or a bit maybe harder to like. In any event, it's a it's been a favorite uh, record of mine since it came out in two thousand six. Um, and there was a period actually when I lived in New York where for years I only listened to contemporary classical music. I got way deep, and this this one stood out like a you know a beautiful a beautiful flower. Mm. Really, it's quite lovely. Okay, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, as you know, I'm very much into electronic music, and mm. all I ever do is talk about electronic music, Michael, because <laughs> that's all I ever listen to at home. So I thought today I would uh, break from that tedium and talk about ah. an album which is absolutely not electronic music. There we go. Um, which is something I do all the time for people that are paying attention. Um, it's an album called Rare Birds. It's by a chap called Jonathan Wilson. And I might have mentioned this in a video years ago. The thing is, I've been trying to think of this album for months, literally months, because a mate of mine recommended it to me back in 2018 when it came out. And I was trying to think of it, yeah, months ago. And I go, what? I don't even remember the artist. I've got nowhere to start. But he was he messaged me the other night because he was asking about how I was. I was like, what was that album you recommended uh, to me uh, You know, a, a few years ago? It sounds a bit like Peter Gabriel but it's also a bit Pink Floydy, like early Floyd, a bit sort of psychedelic mm. folk. And it's like, it's Jonathan Wilson's Rare Birds. I'm like, yes, it is. Mm. And this dude is kind of one of those sort of behind the scenes players or has been for many years who also makes 
um, his own solo records. So he's worked with Roger Waters. He's toured with Roger Waters, his band. Ah. He has worked with Josh Tillman, so Father John Misty, Bonnie Prince Billy, Robbie Robertson, Lana Del Rey. So hmm. he's part of that sort of LA scene, I think. But hmm. the album's just pretty beautiful. Well, it's pretty. You know, it's a pretty sounding record. It's kind of, it's got that sort of Robert Wyatt vibe to it in places, like a sort ah. of pa pastoral folk but with a heavy dose of sort of Los Angeles psychedelia sort of underpinning it. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're really into things like Nick Drake, Pink Floyd, um, even Arcade Fire, but then it's not as dramatic as that, nowhere near. Mm. But just a lot of sort of, there are lots of, yeah, Father John Misty, that kind of thing. If you like that, you're going to, I think you're going to love this record. Yeah, actually, I just it. yeah, I did a quick search. Um, Lana Del Rey and Father John Missy actually are on this. Right. Okay, there we go. Yeah, on this. Oh, yeah, I don't know it. It's Yeah, it seems yeah, right Yeah, it's a completely alley. under the radar record. Hmm. It's just easy. It's nice and easy to listen to. It's not super demanding. You can crank it and it'll be beautiful. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that's my non-electronic music recommendation for this podcast. I don't have any elect electronic recommendations at all for this podcast. Just this, uh, yeah, this yeah. Jonathan Wilson album. So yeah, it's on, yeah, it's on title, Spotify, Cobus, I think, well, maybe. Um, yeah, it's a good record. Yeah. No more to add. I think, I think I'm all spoken out, Michael. I've, I've kind of got a lot off my chest. <laughs> we should really stop. Yes, we should stop. All right, <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for joining me once again. <laughs> To listen to my rants today. Thank you for listening <laughs> to my ranting. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs>